Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM. Thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Mike Wynn. I'm one of the co-hosts of this purportedly weekly radio program. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa of the COPS Bureau. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Uh, Lieutenant, I think the big non-police related news item this week is the uh, wind event we had earlier. Yeah. Uh, uh, that was power uh, outages, trees down. Uh, I don't know. That's not. I mean, that's that's breaking news. It's still news, right? It, I, on the ride in here this morning, there is wind falling, debris everywhere. Yeah, roads that are still closed. My, and my road is closed. I yeah. had the detour to come to work this morning. <laughs> yeah, you had a big tree down there, didn't you? It was crazy. Yeah, I had to park my cruiser in the road for a while until we could get some people out there. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I don't know how much you want to talk about it now, but... An unfortunate tragedy, right? Yeah. Down in Great Barrington. Well, fatality due to the storm. Yeah. Just horrible. Yeah. All right, what else have we got in the news? Um, I didn't didn't prep the articles this morning. I have to apologize. Um, You know what? Let's just get right into it. It's been a busy week, law enforcement-wise, and we can talk about some of that stuff so let's again these are open and active investigations so we're not going to be able to get into a lot of the stuff but let's start with um last friday so last friday we had a a reported shooting incident that um unfortunately uh proved to be a homicide it's very very active investigation um i don't want to i don't want to get into a lot of the details i think the things that i would like to talk about without any compromises that we got the notice as a shot spotter right. activation um so we can talk about that a little bit and ironically we actually had personnel pretty much on the street simultaneously so um it was very very short time delay in locating um both the scene and the involved vehicle but what i think i would like you to talk about we can get into both of those but before we do that i think what i would like you to talk about because you sent some emails out um actually those that's related to the other one we'll get to that later so let's talk about the shot spotter thing first right yeah um so we've talked about this in the past and one of the reasons when we communicated with shot spotter um was that they they believe and they have information and data that in many communities that have gun violence that a lot of reports of shots fired a lot of a lot of weapons discharges go unreported and i i know you know because you were in many of the meetings with me in the planning meetings i didn't believe at the time that we had a high rate of unreported gunfire um i i personally believe that most of our gunfire incidents were being called in by residents and it didn't take very long after we went online with shot spotter that we found out that we did in fact have unreported gunfire incidents um and i'm not gonna i don't want to give the impression that this one wasn't reported ultimately there were phone calls related to the the incident and the victim but the actual shots fired the discharge of the weapon 
um, we had personnel on scene pretty much before the first calls came in, right? The, the time delay. And we've talked about this in the past with the shooting incident, whether it's a, it's a shooting incident resulting in injury or death, or it's just a shots fired incident. The time delay is critical, right? right. A couple minutes between the time the weapon is discharged and notices provided to the officers in the field gives a person of interest or a suspect a lot of time to increase the distance from the location. Uh, and that just complicates the operation. It's a large, large perimeter. Quick dispatch to a precise location greatly enhances our ability to solve these things. Right. So in this case, um, you know, the shot spotter activation went off pretty much at the same time the unit in the neighborhood heard some of the rounds and they they were on on scene in less than minutes um so that's yeah it, it's um again not speaking specifically about um friday's uh incident and and you know divulging details that are still part of the investigation it, it it's real important to to get for us to get there as quick as possible after shots are fired so that we can, you know, recover uh, evidence, locate... Um, locate victims. Victims. Render, render aid. Yeah. Uh, witnesses. You know, that the quicker the better. And, and just, I can't think of a case where it wouldn't be. <laughs> uh, we wouldn't want to be there quicker, um, as quick as possible. So it's... Well, uh, the other... Us so the lot. other thing that... Um, I don't think I had given adequate thought to before we started exploring ShotSpotter, and it has it has proven invaluable time and time again since we went on with ShotSpotter. And this is this is not to disparage or, or to discredit anybody who's a cooperative witness and calls us. Right? Thank God for our cooperative witnesses. But the reality is, just because of the nature of gunfire and sound, and and when ShotSpotter does their demos, and we've done some, you know, I've shown some of these slides at community meetings. Let's say we have a gunfire incident. Um, you know, it's at 123 Main Street, right, hypothetically. And the shots are discharged, <clears throat> and we have three witness callers. But none of them were at 123 Main Street. Right? One is a half a block away with the windows open, and so they call 911 from their residence at 111 Main Street. So now we've got a pin in the map at 111. Somebody is a couple blocks away in a different direction, so they're at, you know, 97 Fifth Street, right? And then somebody else is driving by in a car, so they call, and they're mobile, so by the time that pin goes in the map, they're at 171 Main Street, right? So we got three pins in the map, and we're, now we're dis start dispatching officers to one of those three locations. So first of all, it's not a precise location. Second of all, there's a good chance one of those responding officers trying to get to one of those locations is going to drive past in and past 123 Main Street, which if there's a suspect still there, is it's bad from an officer safety point of view. Um, and even if there's not a suspect there, by going to one of those other three call locations, we're adding time. So now there's a delay. So that's the other thing about Shot Spotter is is the you know it's it's not pinpoint but it's within 80 feet right 80 right. feet is pretty good it's a lot better than a couple hundred yards absolutely so um and, yeah and i think your your point about the um the the you know the, that percentage of incidents where there's no calls 
yeah, we're probably um, higher than, than you had anticipated, but we, I think the last numbers are we're better than what ShotSpotter experiences with other customers in other areas of the country or yeah, we're getting uh, better at uh, it. other areas of the, the world because they, they're not just in the, in the U.S. Yeah. Um, we're definitely improving. Yeah. There's still work to be done, though as you and I discussed the other day with how we acknowledge and, and respond to the activations. All right. We need to take care of that, if not today, definitely early next week. Yep. Um, so let's, let's go to, let's, let's go to yesterday. Cause I, I do want to talk about yesterday, Wednesday, Wednesday, the uh, Wednesday morning. Yeah. It's training day. Right. Yeah. So, um, not a reference to the movie. It literally was an in-service training day, right? <laughs> it, it made things complicated. So Wednesday morning, a.m., first thing, day shift, uh, another reported incident, came in as a home invasion. Uh, and initial responding officers quickly realized it was something other than that. Um, you know, it's, there's an article in the Eagle today, so we can talk about it a little. It, it initially was, first it was reported as a home invasion, and the responding officers reported it as a stabbing. Um, investigation showing it, it was beyond that. There was other elements of the um, assault and battery. Um, have the victim transported and then get a pretty good suspect in vehicle description. And uh, we can, yeah, because it already identified that we. So Pittsfield Police units responded while in the area, identified the car, located the car initiated a brief vehicle pursuit and yep. then it's is is you know frequent during a vehicle pursuit particularly in residential neighborhoods lost the vehicle lost lost sight of the vehicle and, and just so that the listeners understand you know oh why what happened why did the police lose the vehicle when you're in a pursuit in a in a neighborhood in a congested neighborhood you you, you have a you know yeah you want the bad guy but you have a tendency to back off based on, on the totality of what's going on, people that are around, daylight. Um, it, it's eight something in the morning, yeah. vehicle traffic is heavy, right? There's probably pedestrians out. There's a whole lot of factors. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I spoke to Captain Kirchner later in the day, right? Because he was coming up to our training location. Uh, and per our policy, he and supervisors had uh, co-located in the dispatch center and they were having the conversation about terminating the pursuit. They, they were in that discussion when the uh, officers involved called out that they had lost the vehicle yeah so, i was one of them <laughs> you were in there i was in oh, there all right yeah <laughs> so uh th well that, that makes me proud you know because it, it's been a long process to make sure that our on-duty commanders physically co-locate in there it took us a long time to ingrain that yeah 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 it's in as, as i mentioned yesterday in a message i sent out to the dispatchers it's probably not ideal in their world to have us lurking over their shoulders but it's it's part of our policy and it's something that we need to do so that if because ultimately the commanders in the dispatch room are the ones that are making the decision as to whether or not the the pursuit continues or not so let's talk about that a little bit right so if you've for our listeners and viewers at home which by the way i didn't even do that you're listening to On Patrol on the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. You didn't catch me, Lieutenant. Uh, you know what? You, you jumped right in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to interrupt you. <laughs> You're supposed to interrupt me. Um, so 
for our listeners and viewers at home, it, obviously, if you've never been involved in in pursuit driving, one, it's risky. And we, hopefully, we, you haven't. Yeah. It's, <laughs> well, I mean, we have public safety listeners. We know that, right? right. I'm sure Brian is listening today. Yeah. Um, it's risky, right? It, and not only is it risky, it's difficult. It, it's it's one of the ultimate divided attention tasks. One, you're driving, which is already a divided attention task. Two, you have to operate the emergency equipment. Yep. Three, if your backup hasn't arrived yet, you have to operate the radio, right? Which is difficult to do because it's it's not actually possible to do it hands free. On top of that, you have to track the vehicle, right? So you're driving, but you're you're not driving looking for what's going on around your vehicle you're trying to keep an eye on that vehicle which is why our policy and our training requires us to get another unit there quickly so the second unit can take over some of those responsibilities and the first unit can just focus on driving the pursuit but you got to communicate your location constantly and your speed and your direction of travel and it's overwhelming and the reality is that you know experience and time and evidence has shown us it's too much responsibility to leave in the hands of the officers who are actually driving so our policy and best practice is that the control of the pursuit goes back to the dispatch center to a police supervisor or commander who ultimately while monitoring their pursuit makes the call and so that that commander or supervisor has the authority to terminate the pursuit at any time but the important distinction is that the officers themselves also have the authority to terminate the pursuit they can make a determination that you know that we just can't and most of the time before we make the call they either call themselves off or they lose the vehicle so in this particular case they lost the vehicle um not unusual so you continue to do the area search and it, this, the report the report is, and it's accurate, off-duty, out-of-town police officer. But that's, that's not the complete story, because off-duty, but an officer who is attached to us, assigned to us through the countywide special response team, who actually was en route to training. Right. Right? So he's headed to training. He's off-duty because he hasn't arrived at training yet. He's operating an unmarked police car because he's assigned in this capacity, and that's his normal um, to and from training vehicle or to and from operations vehicle and and i want you to get into some of the details on this but because dispatch did such a good job of getting so much information out so widely so quickly he's tooling towards pittsfield on his way to training and here comes the vehicle yeah he um so so when the the initial pursuit was going on just we're weighing two things there, you know, in addition to the the safety factors that we're considering in the time of day, we're weighing the fact that this is what we understand to be a serious assault. We have a victim that is in rough shape. Badly injured. And we have a party which we who we think is identified, but we're not sure. So we have to weigh the um, severity of the crime. Yeah, severity of crime and, and whether or not we have a good ID on this person. Because if we don't have a good ID, we're going to want to be a little more aggressive to find out who they are. Okay. Um, so those are the things that, things that are going on. Um, but ultimately, um, how that transpired was we were, as we discussed, in dispatch. Um, we're monitoring the radio. 
um, you know, kind of some back and forth with the dispatchers as that initial pursuit was going on. The initial pursuit, uh, they, they lost sight of the, the suspect, and it, very quickly we realized based on where they were in the city, we're going to get out that that bolo to the county. So it's a quick call up to the, the, the Berkshire County Sheriff's Department. You know, please be on the lookout. Put it, put it out to... Bolo. The, Bolo. Be on the lookout for and put it out to the other, what, 20-something cities and towns that are, um, are covered by the Sheriff's Department. Put that information out. Um, so that goes out very quickly, and within minutes... Um, we got a call and dispatch that there was a, you know, an off-duty officer. Ultimately, it turned out to be, as you said, Chief, it was, um, you know, Sergeant Carlotto from from Great Barrington who was on his way into um, to town for uh, tactical training, separate from the training that you were involved in. You were doing in-service, and he was on his way to the tag team training. But he uh, he recognized he heard the. The bolo on the uh, the radio, um, pretty quickly recognized the car, got behind the car, um, trailed it until he could get some marked units um, to assist him, and the uh, the second pursuit um, ensued. And yeah. Captain Kirshner actually came up to our training location while units were still on scene down in in Lee and Stockbridge to brief me up because. You know, at one point, state police were calling out that that pursuit was exceeding 100 miles an hour. I mean, this guy wanted to get away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so there's there's some other stuff in the uh, in the public reports. So and I think it was Stockbridge, but it, it was first reported as Lee, but I think it was Stockbridge. So they stopped stick stick them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I confirmed that later in the day. Um, I called up. Uh, Chief DeSantis and Lee, um, because I knew that some of the, the his officers were involved. I had earlier I had spoken to Chief O'Brien and Lennox, um, just to kind of get a clear uh, picture of who was involved, because um, we were prepping a a press release and wanted to have it accurate. Um, you know, yeah, it was you know Lennox. Uh, became involved in the, uh, they were the first marked units there to assist Sergeant Carlotto and, uh, and engage. And um, Stockbridge did a great job. So Stockbridge had set up their stop sticks. That's the way the, sus the suspect went. But at the same time, Lee was setting up stop sticks another way. So, you know, we were, they were, it was really good coordination in terms of um, the, the, measures put in place to, to stop this thing as soon as possible and um and, and take this uh the suspect into custody because it was you know dangerous what he was <laughs> so so this is one of two we, we already talked about the weather incident and then we talked about this one and so this is one of two incidents that you've sent some emails out this week um particularly regarding the communications personnel um because you know our our dispatchers, our call takers and dispatchers, they're they're kind of unsung hero members of the team, right? And I've been talking about this with this came up in a chiefs meeting last week. Um, our first our dispatchers, they're 
you know, they're on the phone. They're at the outset of these things. They're listening to the callers. They're listening to the victims. And there's a movement in the Commonwealth right now to have our dispatchers designated as first responders. They're, they're not on scene, but they're often the first point of contact. And it took me a long time as, uh, as a supervisor and as a trainer to realize that even when police officers, firefighters, EMTs go onto a horrific scene, we get to take concrete steps to try to bring that scene to a successful conclusion or resolution. We get to try to render life-saving aid, or we get to pursue the bad guy or collect the evidence or work the investigation. The dispatchers don't get to participate in any of that. They take the initial call, sometimes a horrific call. They may be involved in giving instructions over the phone or working somebody through providing CPR, offering medical aid, delivering a baby, whatever, and then they just go on to the next call. They don't ever get the end of the call, um, and it it has an impact. And we can't do what we do in the field without good communications. Um, so they're they're an integral part of the communications public safety team. And I was happy to see those emails go out because they did an outstanding job. Um, you know, in the weather thing, because I told I said it as we started the show. Um, it was a tree down in my neighborhood. I called it in. I couldn't get into the dispatch center. I had to call the desk and speak to the sergeant because there was so many. I think when I opened up uh, field apps on, on my phone, we had 30 or 40 stacked calls for trees and wires down, poles down. So I can elaborate on this a little <laughs> bit. I, I had done the same. I was upstairs, and I, I, I had to meet one of the dispatchers about a separate issue, and uh, I called downstairs uh hoping they get a hold of them nobody answered so yeah i don't know what's going on i knew it was raining out and i knew it was raining pretty hard but you know i was in the office kind of cocooned in and uh so i walked downstairs and i walked in the dispatch and it was all i could describe was like how i imagined the new york stock exchange with just you know visual clutter and audio clutter and it was just so crazy in there and the three dispatchers basically have they each have so they each have a a, a 911 phone at, at their desk and they they have a business line and we had three dispatchers on uh one fire alarm operator or dispatcher working fire and and two on police there's a separate console there so i just went in there and i stood around and took it all in for a minute and I'm not a dispatcher. Right. I I'm not trained for the 911 phone. You're not certified. And so, I I grabbed the pad and sat down at the extra console and just started answering the business line. And it was all tree down, wire down calls. I got a couple of alarms. So, I I kind of reverted to my tactical commander right. role. I at one point I had you know three sheets filled up on a pad the other dispatchers are doing the same thing i'm thinking how are we coordinating what's already because i'm taking calls so quick you can't it, put them in the system I, I can't put them in the system I, it, and it's not something i do normally right if a dispatcher puts it in the system in 15 seconds it probably take me a minute and a half right so it's so we're starting to you know i'm coming up with my list i'm realizing may have some lists so i ran upstairs i got those sticky pads Nice. Put them on the wall, and I wrote... Lesson learned. I wrote, wire down, tree down. And I just started coordinating these lists, and then 
once the, the phones calm down, I was able to, to help them put them in, into the system. But so it, it was... It's overwhelming. By, by the time it slowed down, it was that was about four fifteen. It was about six thirty. Yeah, it's chaotic, right? Yeah. So I just I want to I want to respond to two things you said. So the the first thing is that there's no there's no real world situational awareness in the dispatch center. You're you're locked in there. Right, the windows don't open. It's yep. a it's a insulated you know protected location. Um, it's it's kind of overwhelming just to walk in, right? There's a lot of tech in there. There's a lot of like, you know, screens, ambi- ambient back. Yeah, a lot of screens, a lot of ambient background noise. It's like a very low volume, but it's constant. Mm-hmm. And um, so the first thing is because they don't have any real world situational awareness, they don't know what they don't know. Right? So I'm driving home. It kind of started to taper off. I'm driving home. I get into my neighborhood. I go buy a tree that's down. But it's only partially obstructing the road. It's in the it's in the low, the double digit section of the road. I can go by that. I get farther up, and I you know you know I have neighbors who also work in law enforcement, and so I get closer to that house, and now the tree is down. It's you know the one that's still down. It's completely obstructing the road. This is a massive tree, right? It was probably thirty feet wide. It came down. So now it's thirty feet high. So I can't get through. So I go back. So now I start to try to call in. I can't get in. I end up talking to the sergeant. I give the location. This is in 200 block, right? Well, like an hour later, I've, I've changed my clothes. And I'm trying to get on with the rest of my day. I'm checking the status, and I look, and my report's not in the system because they put it in as the other one, right? So DPS has come out, and they've mitigated the one in the double digits, but that's not the one. So they went, they cut that tree back, and they turned around, and they left. Well, there's a massive tree down. It's around a blind corner. You can't see it, right? So, like, no, they didn't mitigate the one that I reported. It's in the 200 block. There's a big tree down, right? you got to come deal with this. Uh, And I had the same problem later in the night because I talked to the sergeant that came in to go put out some cones and barricades. I'm like, you put the cones on the south side or the east side of the issue, but I just came in from the west side, which, you know, that's the high-speed end of the neighborhood. That's where people are coming in off the, the main road. So somebody's, it's dark. Somebody's going to come shooting down this road. They're going to drive head-on into this tree. we got to put some more stuff out. So that was interesting. The other part with the few minutes we have before we go to station identification is, and I don't, th- I don't think I knew this until I found myself in the situation you just found yourself in several years ago. Because our dispatch center is a PSAP, a public safety answering point, we're, we're 911, and in the Commonwealth, the state owns 911. Mm-hmm. So the, the 911 system is operated and managed by the state. And one of the things that that means is that they roll over for cascading failures. So although we're our own standalone 911 system, we're the backup for the Berkshire County House of Correction. We're the backup for the other PSAPs in Berkshire County that also have 911. And if there's a failure somewhere, any PSAP in the Commonwealth will continue to roll over until somebody picks up the phone. So the last time I was in dispatch during a weather event, I picked up the 911 phone. I was talking to people in Worcester, right? It yeah. just kept rolling from PSAP to PSAP to PSAP until somebody picked up the phone. I don't know anything about the geography and the roads in Worcester. Right. Right? I can't. I can't help that person. You know, we'll send that. We'll log that and send it to Worcester. Right? <laughs> Do you know how to transfer a call? No. Th- 
Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they were that. I mean, that was one of my reasoning behind. I'm just going to stick to the business line yeah. and help them out in that end because I'm hearing the other dispatchers taking calls from way South County. Yeah. And okay, let me reroute that to you know the sheriff's department. I don't know how to do that. I mean, I I know I'm you know I'm, I'm a, the supervisor for dispatch, but I, I don't do their job. You don't do their job. You're, you're the commander. Their, their supervisors do their job. Right. right? All right, um, so it's it's not quite half past, a couple of half seconds, so, but this is a good time, so let's get okay. a uh, station identification, check of the weather, PSAs, and we'll come back. We'll talk about some new traffic patterns in the city. <laughs> WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area, today, partly sunny this morning, then clearing. Highs in the upper 50s. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear in the evening, then becoming partly cloudy. Lows in the mid 40s. Southwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Saturday, mostly sunny. A chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. Much warmer with highs in the mid 70s. Southwest wind around 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 30 miles per hour. Chance of rain 30%. Weather forecasts for WTBR FM are provided by the National Weather Service. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Better weather is around the corner. Expect an increase in the number of pedestrians on walkways, cyclists sharing our roads, and kids playing outside. It is imperative we all pay better attention while driving, walking, running, and cycling. So we need to do our part in keeping everyone safe by adhering to the rules of the road. Wear bright clothing if you are walking or running. If you are driving, please slow down and don't drive while distracted. Pay attention. Let's keep each other safe. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union. Proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal Credit Union, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair, one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people they support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. PCTV and WTBR are committed to serving our community in this difficult time. We will bring you live coverage of press conferences and official statements from our government officials on PCTV CityLink Channel 1303, on the Pittsfield Community Television Facebook page, and on WTBR as they happen and as we are able to do so. Please stay tuned to our channels and our social media for updates on press conferences and other important information pertaining to the ongoing pandemic. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us this morning for another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. My name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this usually weekly radio program. Joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa, Cops Bureau Commander. Good morning, Good Lieutenant. Good morning, Chief. We'll talk about what's going on uh, with, your, with your field and your basement before the end of the show. We'll get back to that. <laughs> It's going to be an interesting weekend. Yeah. All right. So um, anything else about dispatch on these major incidents? No, I just, um, you know, I, I, I spend time in dispatch I, based on what other projects I have going on. You know, sometimes I can spend more than others. 
but uh, on Wednesday, you know, I, obviously I spent some time in there, and it's just my uh, kudos to that crew. They they did a great job, and um, you know, they, as you said, they don't often get the credit or the satisfaction of knowing what happened right. happens after the fact. So, um, especially with that that pursuit that ended up in you know Stockbridge, um, I was getting information after the fact you know they're done with it right i was getting information off after the fact and i went I went back in there and i was you know kind of giving them the updates and they loved it yeah because they don't get that a lot no no and you know so you you've been out assisting me in um in training for the last eight or five weeks and so we're, we're doing the integration integrating communications assessment and tactics refresher with some new scenarios based on some some stuff that we've resolved in the last 18 months and i've been sharing with the class that we have um you know we're always learning right we're, we try to be a, a learning organization we're constantly trying to look for ways to improve and one of the things that i've i learned and shame on me um we have policies it doesn't you know we don't have to get into the details we have some policies that when our people are involved in particular things um they're required to be removed from the field and in some cases they're required to be removed from the field by ambulance right they have to they have to go be examined it's part of the protocols and uh those policies have been in place in many cases since before i was the chief you know it's just best practices we put in but one of the first times I had to implement one of those policies, I got on the air and I called for an ambulance to have an officer removed from the scene. And I didn't specify why. And in the aftermath, I was pulled aside by a dispatcher, senior dispatcher, somebody who I, I respect. And he basically chewed me out. And the reason he chewed me out is they filled in the blanks, right? Their, their, their biases and their file cards filled in the blanks. And they thought we had an injured officer. And so they're stressing out over what happened to an officer. And, you know, it was it was a procedural request. It was per policy. And so now well, when we make that request, that's how we ask for it. You know, I need I need an ambulance for a procedural transport per, per policy. Right. Yeah. So um, but it never would have occurred to me. And not having ever been a dispatcher. It wouldn't have occurred to me what is going through their mind when a supervisor or commander calls for an ambulance. Right They're It's the worst case scenario for them. And well, they're not, you know, sworn police officers, they're friends and colleagues and coworkers and, and they have relationships with all of us and, you know, they're impacted by that. So, um, we get better and we learn, but yeah, lots going on. Yep. All right. So, um, it's October of 2020. It's been a hell of a year. Um, it certainly has. Not everybody, but, but many people are staying fairly close to home. A lot of people who might normally work or shop or eat downtown, maybe not doing that as often anymore. So it's entirely possible we have some listeners or viewers who haven't been on North Street in the last, let's call it three days. Yeah. Um, and there have been some changes. Yes. What do you think about the changes, Lieutenant? Um, I, visual clutter. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm trying to stay very positive and supportive about this. I I, I don't want to be the 
the you know, I have a reputation among the management team, among the department heads, of being the naysayer of being the negative Nelly, and I'm not right. I I'd like to see the city make positive improvements, but it's part of my job. It's part of our job to point out the risks, to point out the pitfalls, right? What one of one of the issues that I know was addressed early on was emergency vehicles going down North Street. Right. And yesterday, um, I was coming back from a meeting uh, out outer West Housatonic Street, and I'm coming up West Street, and I'm at at the light, right at West, you know, South North. Yep. And as I'm waiting there, there's an ambulance coming from. I want to say it was Lee. With the lights on, no siren, right. lights on, coming into that first block. The cars have nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. And, it, you know, it, it, I'm sure if he really, the, the, the ambulance driver, I say he because it look, looked like a, a male driver, it, uh, I, I suppose he could have put the, the siren on, but I just don't know where the cars would have gone. Right. So if you're not at all familiar with what we're talking about, the city has received um, a grant from the Commonwealth. It's it's called the Shared Streets and Spaces Program. Uh, it's administered by the Massachusetts Department of Transportation. Uh, we're one of of many, not many, but you know, several communities that have received this money. It's a very specific and quick grant program. And we were fortunate to, to get a, a significant amount of money through this. But essentially what was recognized early in the pandemic is that as we get, oh, it reminds me, um, we have to have Darren re-record his PSAs because the weather's not getting nicer. Right? <laughs> it, that's not timely. That's all perception. Yeah. If you're a skier, it is. Yes, but, but he doesn't mention that in his PSA. He's talking about pedestrians, runners, and cyclists. So we got to take that one out of the rotation. Um, but anyway, so as we're getting farther into the year you know fall is here a lot of the things that we were able to do to provide some relief to some businesses in the spring allow them to bring some outdoor dining onto sidewalks and stuff like that it's not gonna it's not gonna be able to maintain all of that if we just have the sidewalks right i mean if we start to get some snow there's going to be snow banks and you know we're gonna have to clear the sidewalk and so the idea was that by either using roadway space differently like entirely differently like they did down in lennox and great barrington where they just took an intersection and turned it into a plaza basically or by using portions of road space differently that we could create some options to put in some parklets and maybe some you know um heated spaces and stuff like that just to provide some options that's that's kind of the drive behind the, pro the program the other part of it is it's well acknowledged and well recognized and i'm thankful that you know um the the current commissioner of public services uh commissioner morales morales he he gets this that you know a lot of traffic calming efforts rather than you know traffic enforcement efforts are better handled through engineering than they are through enforcement right so that's you know there's there's also that can we change traffic behavior by changing the roadway and so what they've been doing downtown is they've been putting some new traffic patterns in. But it's like anything else, right? You can have the plan drawn out on paper, and it can look okay. But when you try to implement it, you have to implement it in real time. And so specifically what the lieutenant was talking about, if you look at um, 
there's there's some photos uh, online in the Eagle, but if you just look at some of it, if you're familiar with that area of Park Square coming through Park Square northbound, where you're coming through Bank Rower Park Place onto North Street, that was two travel lanes with a merge lane coming in from basically East Street, a small median, non signaled crosswalks so you got to yield to the pedestrians there those two lanes between that beginning of north street and fence street had parking spots to the outside they were they were full travel lanes right so about 12 feet and then they continue the duration of north street down there that section of roadway right now is from the curb a bicycle lane parking to the left of the bicycle lane a single travel lane and a cross-hatched no-go lane up against the median so there's basically one travel lane so we went from essentially three travel lanes with the merge to one travel lane with them you know with the merge coming into it and when when we saw the initial drawings we had some we had some significant questions um because i one the first thing i don't know how wide a fire truck is right so my my big thing was can a fire truck even make it down here so they they addressed that but my second question is where do we where does where does the traffic go if we come in with an emergency vehicle and and i'm not throwing i'm not casting aspersions or, or or shade on anybody but when i brought the question up the response was, don't worry about it. Your Opticon will take care of it. What Opticon? <laughs> and so for our viewers and listeners, Opticon is a, um, it's a traffic prioritization system. Essentially, it's a piece of equipment. You purchase it. You can install it in a police car or an ambulance or a fire truck, and it's tied into your emergency equipment. And if you have Opticon, what it does is when you activate your emergency equipment, it sends out a signal. I think it's a radio signal. Uh, and it communicates with some receivers on the traffic lights, and it changes the lights. It, it, put, it makes them green in your direction. Problem is, Pittsfield Fire has Opticon, but Pittsfield Police does not. We've never had it. And We've they, never needed it. And they have it on one intersection on North Street, from what I understand. Uh, I have it on more than one intersection. They, it's yeah. it, the that that intersection is tied into their headquarters doors. When the doors go up, that intersection changes. But they, it's it's on several of the downtown, okay. and some of our ambulance providers have it, but a lot of our ambulance providers don't, and we don't have it. So you know, we're having the conversation like, "Oh, your Opticon will take care." Of it. Like they didn't they didn't know we didn't have, it and they didn't ask. So we had you know we had to kind of sort through that. But then the the second part was, well, the drivers will do this. And I just started laughing. I was like, you have obviously never driven an emergency vehicle. Because drivers don't do what they're supposed to do. Right. Drivers don't pull to the right and stop. They stop in the middle of the intersection. They pull to the left. They stop right in front of you, right? There's all kinds of things that drivers do when they all suddenly realize there's a police car or a fire truck behind them. So to rely on consistent driver behavior is not a plan. It's a hope. And uh, so I was like, you know, okay, right? You you. You've answered my questions. I'm, I don't believe it, but okay. Let's see how this goes. So they did the, the first block, the first install on Wednesday. And so we finished the training day at the offsite training location. We had everything going on from the home invasion slash stabbing. I had been in contact by phone and email all day. 
I'm calling in because I was I was closer to home than I was to the station. So I'm calling in to see if I can get an investigator to kind of catch me up and see if you know, there's anything outstanding. Do I need to come in? And I couldn't reach anybody. So, OK, I got to drive to the station. Plus, I had Captain Kirchner's radio. Right. So I'm like, I got to drive to the station anyway. But it's it's the end of the shift. It's shift change. Right. So I come pulling into the station or the area of the station and I can't park. I mean, anybody who knows our facility. So my parking spot has got somebody in it. There's a car blocking that spot so it can't shift it all the day shift personnel have come in and have parked their cars all the evening shift personnel are coming out and and inspecting their cars it's just a disaster and i didn't know that the change had gone in yet so i go past headquarters on school street and i come up to the intersection of school and north and it's a disaster it it's just chaos right so i can't take the right turn you can't turn left there unless you're responding to an emergency call anyway i can't take the right turn into say the second travel lane or the what would have been the parking lane because it's gone um traffic in the travel lane has the red light at fen it's backed up to the intersection of south with traffic stacked now on bank on park place coming off of east the light changes Nobody gives me, you know, nobody waves me into traffic. I don't have my equipment on, right? So the light changes. All the traffic that's on North Street continues north. All the traffic that's coming from East Street fills in behind that. As the light is changing yellow, South Street gets, South Street northbound gets the green light. They fill in and now are in the intersection and the light changes red. Yeah, it's just uh, car bumper to bumper. I sat there for three cycles of the light before I hit my blue lights to come out and go around the block. Right. So I come out and I go around the block. I find parking away from the station because it's not going to get any better until everybody's out of there. Right. And uh, I walk over. Um, it's that I walked over and got caught. You know, I got caught in the station when the when the storm came through. Right. So now I'm stuck at the station kind of getting updated. and what. So I get ready to leave. Now I've gone around the block. I walk back over to where my cruiser was. And I'd make a decision that I'm not going to go straight home. I'm going to check to see, you know, what this has done. So now I go back on North Street and I'm going to go down to Columbus. And as I'm traveling down to Columbus, there are traffic cones littering the travel lanes all over North Street because they'd only done one side of the road at that point. And even where the traffic cones didn't blow away, the new traffic pattern is such that People don't know where to go. So, like, Captain Kirchner had a gentleman, I think it was Thursday morning, who was stopped behind the parking lane, right, the new parking lane. He, there was three or four cars parked between him and the intersection of Fen. He had the red light. He pulled up behind them. He thought they were in traffic. Because <laughs> they're in the middle of the road. <laughs> they get the green light. The cars to his left go. He sat there. Yeah. And so the captain pulls up and says, sir, can I help you? He's like, I'm waiting for these cars to go. He's like, sir, they're they're parked. They're in parking. No, they're not. Right? It's just, if you've never seen a traffic pattern like this, you wouldn't know. Um, There's some big changes related to that coming. Um, You know, driver's behavior will change. It'll get better. Uh, There's some, uh, we've heard some questions about how the plow operators are going to negotiate this, but we'll see. Um, Delivery drivers. The, well, that was one of the things yeah. that I mentioned and told it wasn't, wasn't going to be an issue. 
<laughs> I mean, the amount of times you, you, it, it that's more common than than probably emergency vehicles coming down. Yeah, or I mean, as common as people who don't spend a lot of time downtown. People who are, they don't understand it. In many of our downtown business blocks, there's no rear access. Yeah, right. The the alleys aren't accessible by vehicle, or there's a there's a there's a rearwood facing facade with another set of business, so there's no uh, there's no loading docks and there's no rear access. So many North Street businesses get their deliveries through their front door, and it's it's just been known as long as I've been a police officer that delivery trucks, big box trucks, they get to double park, and we pretty much allow that because it would impact it would negatively impact businesses if we didn't. It's, it's, yeah, it's really the only way for yeah. them to do it. And well, they it, can't do that now, especially. You know, when we have seen uh, construction in, uh, you know, in certain parts of, of North Street, right. um, it's going on right now uh, down by uh, just past 510 where, they're, right. where the, there was the fire. They're doing construction there, and it's pretty common for them to take up that right-hand lane. travel lanes to, to deliver construction materials. Right. And, you know, a couple of years ago when the buildings near, the, near School Street were under construction... Yep. Dealt so, with it all the time. So a couple of other big changes that are coming from that. I think the one that caused the most c- questions and concern when I shared it with some of our personnel, and I don't know what the time frame for this is, but Government Drive. So Government Drive, if you're coming from West Street in in the west side of the Pittsfield, past New West Street, right past uh, the Eversource building, and you're going to go up the hill <clears throat> to get back... <coughs> to North Street, and you normally would go across Government Drive, which, you know, you're between now Old West Street and College Drive. Government Drive is going to be shut to vehicle traffic. It's it's basically going to become a big pedestrian thoroughfare. Yeah, in which I realize there's a traffic impact, but a lot of people walk down there to yeah. go to, to the grocery store, and it's, yeah. it's it'll be a lot safer for them. It'll be safer for the pedestrians, no question. Um. And then the other change, I, we were told that this was going to happen yesterday. It didn't happen by the time I left work, is um, School Street. So, you know, our our adjoining street next to the station that right now is one way from Allen to North is going to be reversed. It's going to be one way from North to Allen. That'll be interesting to, to see. Yeah. You know, I, I think that we have limited traffic on school street because it's just not not convenient it's it's hidden in a way and you know it's once in a while we'll get somebody that'll come through and it's just it's not heavy traffic it'll be interesting to see how how and if that changes uh coming the other way because there's a because we have limited parking we had we have limited space to maneuver you know in and out of the station what you know the other day, bringing a you know a car in off of a flatbed—it's just things like that. Um, you know, a lot of times we're clogging up. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. School street, so. Well, one of the reasons for that change is to give us some more dedicated parking. That's that's part of the plan. That that part will be helpful. Yeah, um, it is going to cause some some concerns. Like Captain Kirshner has pointed out that you know, a lot of times. Um, a lot of times, you know, we park to leave. We back in many times. But we don't always do it, particularly when we're doing, dealing with prisoners or prisoner handling. And what the captain pointed out is if we now have cruisers that are pulled head in or they were pulled into the garage for service and we have to back them out, there's no good way, given the configuration of 
the um, the building, Anoda there. building, yeah. to see traffic that's going to be coming down that road, particularly if it's coming down at any speed. So we're going to have to put some protocols in place regarding use of emergency lights and stuff if we're backing. So yeah, um, and then Allen Street, which is you know now two way from Fen to Park Square and from Park Square to Fen, that's going to be one way. Um, yeah, I think I think it's one way to Park Square in the plan. I believe one way southbound. Yeah, I think so. So, so people that come down School Street from North will just have to loop back. They're actually going to just be doing a loop. That's coming to Fen. Yeah. They won't be able to get to Fen though if 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 Allen is that. No, if they if they wanted to go anywhere else, they'd have yeah, to come yeah. on North to Fen. Go east on Fen if they wanted to get to Federal, they'd have to come back. So maybe that will discourage a little traffic. Yeah. So All right, we'll we're, see. we're almost out of time. It'll be tough for us, though. It's going to be tough for us. Yeah. We'll get used to it. We'll figure it out. I don't know what all the other changes. There's some parklets that are going to be installed. Uh, there's some other changes. There's there's good imagery of the plan up online. So if you want to go see what else is in store for this, go check it out. It's... It's going to make downtown more pedestrian-friendly and pedestrian-safe. That's without question. But there's going to be some confusion in driving habits, and we'll see what happens with the emergency equipment. All right. All right. So, Lieutenant, you were just talking. To us. So we, we, both, we both thought that this was going to be a cool, dry weekend, and that is not the current weather report. We've got some weather coming in again. Well, I was hoping it would be a yeah. warm, dry weekend. I was here in 70s, yeah. but then with the weather... Uh, report that we we heard during the show here we're talking there's a, a chance on saturday and sunday which is a bummer because well, as i mentioned to you yeah i got a basement to dry out and some trees to pick up so the report i the report i saw this morning before i came in was a little bit different it was rain some rain possibly tonight maybe early tomorrow then a dry spell and then some rain on monday so we'll you know hopefully you'll get something in the in the middle there yeah because you got trees down water in the basement yeah i was I, I was you know saying during a break i have trees that are still down from that that storm the fir first couple of days of august that we had that uh the remnants of the, the hurricane or the tropical storm that came up and and did some damage the so tree, that, the trees i went down anyway but I so that's wanted, your, that's your weekend i wanted to do them on my own time <laughs> <laughs> how about you the best laid plans um i i need to I traveled last week. You know that I was out of town for a couple of days, so I missed several training days. So I, I need to catch up on some training. Uh, hopefully, get to the dojo tonight, and then again tomorrow. I would love to get outside. I, I know there's not going to be too many, too many of these weekends left. So I'd like to get outside. We're maybe, maybe going to take a drive up to the top of Mount Greylock. Haven't been up there at all this year. Sounds like it would be a good weekend for it. Yeah. Um, I just found out this morning that um. My, my bride got some feedback and direction from her dissertation advisor, so apparently I'm going to be solo for a good chunk of the weekend because <laughs> she's got work to do. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what's going on. Yeah. All right. With a couple minutes left, I wasn't here last week, and we didn't do the program, and I wasn't here the week before, so I haven't talked about what's going on from the Cultural Pittsfield This Week newsletter, which um, if I don't, Mrs. Glockner is going to, who's going to hold me accountable, so let's check it out. Uh, Berkshire County Historical Society, fun, virtual fundraiser, that's tonight. Tonight, 
no last night missed it sorry uh upcoming there's some arts talks down uh downtown looks like a ton of yoga classes and fitness classes um classes at berkshire music school what's going on friday one berkshire webinar fall cleanup at springside park haunted hancock at hancock shaker village on the holiday the word by word poetry event is starting there's a ton going on there's an event coming up next week at arrowhead i'm going whaling i might have to go to that all right if you don't get the cultural pittsfield newsletter sign up for that go to culturalpittsfield.com and have it sent to your inbox it's loaded with information do we want to help becky out and uh Give a little shout out for what's going on for Halloween activities. Yeah, why don't we do that? I didn't even read the, the whole announcement. So so it's um, there is going to be trick or treat. However, um, the the department is discouraging it. You know, the, the health department? The health department. Okay. Yeah, or the recreation. Yeah, the recreation department. Um, it's... But it's going to it's going to happen. It's uh, on the thirty first, no rain date, um, and it's I'm leaning over here as I'm trying to read <laughs> this. Um, Five thirty to seven, um, and <laughs> it, it as long as Pittsfield remains in the low risk um, on that that community data map. Right. Um, so it's uh, they're they're encouraging people yeah, obviously the same thing goes if you have your porch light on people are participating right. if you don't so um, so i had some conversations with other members of the management team before the decision was made early on right and this this is this is a family decision this is an individual family decision right so if you have family members loved ones who live with you who are members of vulnerable populations don't participate turn your light off don't invite strangers to your house if you can participate, do whatever you can to maintain social distancing, right? Put, put individually package the stuff, put it out on the sidewalk or on your walkway, put it out in your driveway. Don't do the hand-to-hand exchanges. If you're, you and your children are participating in your trick-or-treating, incorporate a face covering into your costume, carry plenty of hand sanitizer, keep the group small, be smart, yeah. keep this stuff outside, Maintain separation, maintain all of the rules that we've had to live with this year, and just be smart. Be safe and be healthy, but be smart. And, and make sure you wear a mask. And they, they, they were pretty specific in the, the announcement that a Halloween mask is not no. a... Make sure you have a face covering, covering under, the, under the Halloween decorative mask. Actually, I, th- I think it discouraged that, <laughs> and, and they encouraged... Right decorating Maybe. your mask, mask. Or, okay as as, you know, as part the, of your, yeah, your as costume part of or something yeah all right so be smart be healthy thank you again for tuning in to another new episode of on patrol with the ppd here on wtvr 89.7 fm simulcast on pittsfield community television we thank you for joining us this week we'll be back next week as scheduled with another new episode have a great week be well